From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Labor Day edition, we are all, at least most of us, are going to have to labor a lot more and take home a lot less if President Biden and his allies in Congress succeed in their massive $3.5 trillion budget resolution. With most of America focused on the debacle in Afghanistan, this massive tax increase is almost going unnoticed. Now, who's going to bear the burden of this enormous spending bill, and what impact will this have on an economy that's trying to shake off the effects of COVID? Texas Congressman Kevin Brady, ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee, is here with some answers in just a moment. And here's a news flash. Trust in the media is plummeting among conservatives, but confidence in the media is pretty much holding steady for those on the left. That, according to Pew Research, we'll get more from MRC's Dan Gaynor a little later here on Washington Watch. Also, a report out of Israel showing natural immunity is 13 times stronger than the vaccine in combating the Delta variant of COVID. So why, why is the federal government refusing to acknowledge natural immunity? Instead, they're pushing for vaccination for everyone. We'll talk about it with Dr. Marty McCary. And finally, we've talked a lot about the debacle surrounding America's withdrawal from Afghanistan. The effects of this, as we've said, are going to be long lasting, especially when we look at some of our global adversaries like China. Now, what role did China play in Afghanistan and what is their end game? We'll talk about it with Asian expert and author Gordon Chang on this edition of Washington Watch. Let me encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. That way you can stay connected with Washington Watch, but more importantly, the Stand Firm app gives you action items, alerts you when you need to engage with your government, whether it be at the state level, local government, or at the national level. Again, download the Stand Firm app. Let me thank those of you who have already responded to FRC's relief effort in my home state of Louisiana and Mississippi, partnering with Samaritan's Purse and the churches that are hosting them. You know, this weekend, uh, a lot of folks trying to pick the pieces back up, clean out their homes, and of course, volunteers now beginning to come into the state. And, and I encourage you, join with ministries like Samaritan's Purse, helping out your neighbors. Also, uh, if you'd like to make a financial contribution, FRC's put forth a $25,000 matching a pledge, and so we're going to match everything that uh, you, our listeners, give up to $25,000. And again, that's going to go to Samaritan's Purse and the churches that are hosting them. You can do that at frc.org slash relief. All right, a new report by Americans for Tax Reform found that President Biden's first proposed budget, so this uh, budget resolution that calls for $3.5 trillion dollars, is going to be the largest tax increase since 1968. But of course, you look at where the economy is and how it's struggling to get going again, what could be the long-term effects of these tax hikes? And then of course, who's going to pay for them? Joining me now to talk about this, Kevin Brady. He represents the 8th Congressional District of Texas. He is the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. Congressman Brady, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about this because you're a numbers guy. You track this. You were key to uh, President Trump's tax cuts that got the economy going at historic records, uh, setting historic records. Now, uh, I'm afraid if this administration succeeds, we're going to see history made, but not in a positive sense. Yeah, certainly not. And first, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank uh, you and Family Research Council for your help on uh, creating some of the most pro-family uh, tax reforms and provisions that we've seen as a country in a long time. But right now, you're right, all that is at risk. And I think following the humiliating surrender to the Taliban in Afghanistan, I worry this president is leading us on an, on an economic surrender to countries like China, Japan, Europe and the Middle East. Uh, he's proposing some of the highest tax rates in the world uh, that will drive 
ultimately drive U.S. jobs overseas, research, manufacturing headquarters over into foreign countries. Uh, but worse than that, I think that the biggest impact is going to be felt on Main Street America because these tax hikes, this record level of them, they just hammer our small businesses, our middle class workers, our family owned farms and businesses, uh, as well as uh, they set a goal, I think, to destroy every uh, blue collar oil and gas job in America. So these are crippling tax hikes. We estimate if they go through that they could kill or put at risk up to 4 million American jobs. And they are moving quickly, Tony, as we discussed. Uh, the House is looking in committee to begin voting on these tax hikes uh, this week. Uh, all right, let's talk about this, uh, uh, Kevin, because the president has said he's only going to tax the rich. Um, and and it, there's no way. When you look at, you just talked about it, jobs are going to be going overseas, jobs that came back to this country. That's not the rich that are going to pay the price tag here. That's the working man and woman who has a job providing for their family. Those are the ones that are going to be impacted by this. They, they are, no question. Look, as you know, corporations don't pay taxes. They collect them. And who gets hurt are their workers, their customers, uh, families who are, uh, uh, their retirement depends on that business success. And of course, the communities where those American jobs are at all get hurt. So um, President Biden is breaking his pledge on taxes. And don't take my word for it. Uh, the left-leaning tax policy center and the nonpartisan Joint Committee on Taxation both say that taxes will increase on middle class families starting next year because of the Biden tax plans. And their point is that Two-thirds of middle-class families will see a tax hike starting next year. It'll go up to over 90%. And so clearly, it's working families, small businesses, family-owned farms uh, who get hurt, no question, the worst with these crippling tax hikes. So, uh, Kevin, it'd be safe to say this... Uh claim that this will only affect the rich is kind of like if you like your doctor you can yeah. keep it or uh we won't leave anyone left in afghanistan uh yeah, they're hollow is. promises they are and i think people are starting to understand that you're right there's been so much going on it's been hard to follow these tax hikes or this spending bidge all of which by the way is going to drive up prices even higher on families and local businesses because you know you can't pour another three and a half to five trillion dollars in this economy without higher seeing inflation. And uh, because many of these spending programs no longer require Americans to work to get these government checks, I think it's going to be even harder to reconnect the jobless to work when the government's paying them more to stay home than to reconnect. So there are, I think, a lot of things that change, frankly, the culture of America, along with our economy our jobs uh, in our in rising paychecks, uh, all that goes out the window under these Biden tax hikes. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask a question that I think many of our listeners have been asking and they're and they continue to ask. I mean, basic economics. Um, you're spending money you don't have to pay people basically not to work. We have an economy that's struggling to get back on its feet because of the shutdowns, because of COVID. This doesn't add up. I mean, for, uh, uh, this $3.5 trillion budget resolution that they're pushing through, which they're going to try to do without any Republican support, um, that's, in, that's on top of the regular budget. Where, where's the money going to come from? What's this going to do to the economy? Yeah, it, it is on top of trillions left of, of COVID spending. Tony as well, uh, adding more fuel to inflation. So none of this makes economic sense at all, either from a job perspective or the national debt. The truth is, you know, this country can't keep spending like we're in an emergency, and we cannot do it and cannot afford to do that. Uh, there's no question this, this doesn't weaken the economy just in the short term. I think it makes it far harder to avoid inflation or a national debt crisis in the future. Another reason we're fighting so hard, tooth and nail against it. But we can't stop it by ourselves as conservatives or Republicans. In the House, we only need four Democrats, four of those so-called moderate Democrats who run back home that way 
to step forward. And the big question really is, are there any moderate Democrats left who will stand up against Nancy Pelosi and fight for their local jobs instead? I mean, we've not seen much of a willingness of the Democrats to take on uh, the speaker. I mean, what we have is a nation that is very clearly divided on economic policy, on social policy, and military, foreign policy. I mean, there's a clear line down the middle. And it appears to me, Kevin, that the election determines what types, what type of policy we're going to be governed by. It's either we're going to be con governed by a constitutional conservative policy, or we're going to be governed by a leftist agenda. There doesn't seem to be anything in the middle. You know, there there should be, you would think, but certainly in this year under this president, I you know, as you know, I've, I've been there a while and uh, am retiring, but this is the most partisan White House I've ever seen. And, and I think, you know, you and I would both look at Speaker Pelosi and, and understand she knows she's losing the majority in less than a year and a half. I think she's trying to ram through as much of this socialist agenda as possible. The Senate is eager to do that as well. Uh, that's why we have to fight so hard and so effectively here over the next year and a half to stop as much of this damage as we can. And obviously the economic damage, but more importantly, we're all trying to work to get people out of poverty and give them real lives. We lifted 6 million people out of poverty in less than two years under President Trump's tax cuts. I think this and the spending are going to create a new era of dependency on government that will be very damaging to the country for the long term. Final question for you, Congressman Kevin Brady. When you look at the the budget resolution that they're they're pushing through, uh, three point five trillion dollar price tag, these tax increases, can they be stopped, and how will we stop them? So it can. It is uh, uphill right now, but again, we only need these are raised within margins. We only need four moderate Democrats to stand up for their local jobs in the House, one in the Senate. Uh, I, I believe while it'll be difficult uh, to stop it in the Ways and Means Committee because it's loaded uh, with liberal uh, members, uh, I think there's a better chance as this bill heads to the floor, we're gonna keep that pressure up. Uh, certainly in the House, we don't need much, uh, frankly, to, for people to fight for American workers but it's still, it is, I think we can do this. Uh, it'll be a, a challenge at every step. All right. Well, we know you'll be leading the charge and uh, we're with you. Congressman Kevin Brady, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us on this Labor Day edition of Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Take care. All right. Uh, Congressman Kevin Brady of uh, Texas has been fighting the conservative battle on Capitol Hill for a number of years. All right. On the other side of this break, do Americans in Conservatives in particular still think the media is a trusted institution. Well, I think you know the answer, but we're going to delve deeper into it on the other side of this break with Dan Gaynor from Media Research Center. So don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch right after this. Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and, and consequently, we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. 
Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Is your family filled with discord? Listen to Genesis 27, verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. Hatred is a strong word. Many families have unrest between its members. This division between Jacob and Esau lasted for years. But God did bring healing to the relationship and the brothers back into harmony. However, only God can do this. Often forgiveness is necessary. Laying down pride and removing anger can be hard, but God can restore even the most broken of relationships. Like Jacob and Esau, it may take years. It, in fact, may never come, but God will give peace to the ones who seek peace. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at hopeforthehome.org. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relief. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us on this Labor Day edition of Washington Watch. All right, when it comes to trust in American institutions, trust in our military, law enforcement, and religious institutions, they they, they typically rank high. While trust in institutions like newspapers and TV media typically, typically rank toward the bottom end of trusted American institutions. Now, this trend, trend is certainly most pronounced among conservatives, where a recent pupil showed a cratered trust in the news media. I mean, dropping 50% since uh, the, uh, the 2020 election. Now, this really should not come as a surprise. It's not, it doesn't surprise me at all. When you look at the hostility that the media has toward conservative values. Now, I want to play a clip for you. For you, I've played this before on, on the program, but it really, I think, uh, just shows exactly what we're talking about. This is from CNN. This was from January 4th of this year. This is CNN's Chris Cuomo. He's mocking Marco Rubio's faith. Listen to this. The man he called uh, Little Marco, Little you Marco. know, uh, Mr. Uh, you know, Bible Boy. You know, he's got a Bible quote for every moment. He just never speaks truth to power yeah. or acts on any of it in the interests of his own state or of this country. So is there any reason anyone should be surprised that conservatives have very little confidence in the legacy media? Joining me now to talk more about this, Dan Gaynor. Media Research Center's Vice President of Free Speech America, Business and Culture. Dan, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. And this is right up our alley. We've spent almost 35 years fighting the bias in the media. And, you know, particularly since social media came on the stage, it's gotten worse. Well, you mentioned social media. Their uh, trust level has also declined, like like it could get any lower. I think only 4% of American adults say they have a lot of confidence in social media so they were already in the tank but this is pretty significant when you look at conservatives now let me uh, nearly eight in ten democrats and democrat leaning independents at 78 percent say they have a lot or some trust in the information that comes from national news sources that's 43 percent higher than republicans who have very little trust in the media Dan, let me ask you this question. Is that because the media speaks the left's language? 
Yeah, and the media always has. And maybe maybe it's the reverse, though. Maybe the left speaks the media's language. I mean, they're the ones who set the narrative. They're the ones who talk about, oh, we can't say this word anymore. we got to say this word. we got to start a, a typical news story about, uh, let's say, transgenderism actually uh, you know, identifies calling people who, you know, even, even little kids by their new name, even if they haven't formally changed their name, okay, little Tommy is no little Thomasina now, and they'll do that. So they always set the narrative to the left, and then we're left dealing with it. That, since obviously Supreme Court was just uh, taking action on, or not taking action on abortion, it, that's another one of the areas where you can have organizations that call themselves you know, pro-life, but they're not allowed to be called that in news stories. They're right. called, you know, anti-abortion rights. Anti well, that's right. you know, that's just setting setting up the narrative always on the left, and, and that's not from uh, left-wing uh, advocacy groups. That's from the AP. That is from these legacy news sources. Uh, back to this poll, uh, the survey rather from Pew. In just, I'm quoting from their uh, from their uh, summary. In just five years, the percentage of Republicans with at least some trust in national news organizations has been cut in half, dropping from 70% in 2016 to 35% this year. This poll was taken in June. At some point, I mean, the, the, the support for the legacy media is bottoming out. What's going to happen? I mean, we're going to have one uh, a divided nation, or, or is this what we already have, some listening to the legacy media? and the others finding new sources elsewhere. Well, I mean, you're right. This is what we already have. And what I'm amazed by is that 35% have some trust, trust in the news media. They spent True. four years destroying any sort of sense of trust that we should have. They lied about Trump in every which way to, you know, to Sunday. Uh, they, uh, they came up with the phony Russian collusion narrative. They're, of course, later proven wrong. They've been lying since January 6th, saying that, uh, you know, it was some sort of crazy insurrection. That's the word they like to use when, in fact, it was a riot. Then they tell us that these riots that we had nationwide, oh, well, you know, th they were mostly peaceful. Tell that to people who lost the $1 to $2 billion worth of damage to their homes and businesses. And, and for people right. who don't understand this, that's just in a two-week time period, and those riots went on for months. But right. you notice they didn't bother to update that number because it wasn't conservatives rioting, it was liberals, so, so we don't really want to know the truth. So, Dan Gannon, let me ask you this question. You know, the, the, the legacy media for the last 40 years has been trying to uh, publish the obituary of evangelical conservatives involved in the, the, the political process. I mean, with every election cycle, they're dying, they're going away. Unfortunately for them, we're still here. How do, we, how do we write the obituary of legacy media? I mean, when they're only talking to half of America, how is it? how can we just put them out of their misery? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, we do it by doing their job, the job they refuse to do for them. And by the job they refuse to do, they refuse to cover the conservative movement. They refuse to cover uh, evangelical Christians in any positive way. The only time we crop up is if we're getting slammed. Uh, so that means uh, conservatives and Christians need to have the basic journalism skills. We need to write those stories, cover those stories, so we know what's going on, even if they don't. And that means stories of charity, stories of what you know the good works church are do churches are doing. The only time the media cover those at all is if there's a controversy or if those churches somehow are doing something the left wants. Uh, traditional church, right. uh, you know, suddenly embraces a, a transgender pastor or or something like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well. Uh, you guys do a great job in exposing it. Uh, CNSnews.com does a great job of presenting that news from that perspective, from a truthful perspective. And uh, we're always glad to uh, have you on the program. Dan Gaynor, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. All right. Uh, and folks, so go to those sources you can trust for news. All right, coming up next, a study out of Israel showing that natural immunity is better than... Stick around if you want the answer. Don't go away. More Washington Watch after this.
making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. One of the most comical things that I have seen today was a very well-written article in reference to the Federal Reserve having too much power. I believed in the premise of the article. There was nothing wrong with it or anything that I strongly disagreed with. But the reason it's kind of comical is it is about 20 years too late. When 15 years ago, I thought it was comical that Congress was questioning the Federal Reserve, and Federal Reserve was dictating to Congress exactly what Congress will get. And I said then it was laughable because somehow the Federal Reserve has managed to twist things around as if Congress is accountable to them. Congress might believe that until they wake up and realize the Federal Reserve is accountable to Congress, and when they ask for an audit or they ask for more detail, there's no question about when they should get it. They should get it immediately, and the question ought to be answered because they can't be so naive as to think that the Fed chairman doesn't have the answers to what seemingly are very simple questions. The Federal Reserve off again and continues to be so, particularly when it relates to inflation because so much of what we are seeing is going to lead to inflation when we look at these supply chains. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Podcast at AFR.net. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Okay, let me just say this at the outset so that YouTube doesn't take this uh, clip off or, uh, you know, social media doesn't clamp down on, on us at the behest of the Biden administration. I'm not against vaccines. I've said this on the program many, many times. But what I am for is people making their own decisions. I am against government mandates. And... I'm concerned that we're not getting the full picture, all of the information, and, and here's why. There's a, a new study out of Israel that shows that natural immunity is 13 times stronger than the vaccine in combating the Delta variant of COVID. All right, so we're getting these breakthrough cases of people who have actually had the vaccine, but then they get the virus. But then there's people who've had the virus and they have a greater level of protection against it. But the federal government is not even talking about that. There's not even a discussion about natural immunity. Why? Well, joining me now to talk about this is uh, Dr. Marty McCary. He is uh, at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He's a physician and a professor. And we've had him on many times, and I'm glad to welcome him back. Uh, Dr. McCary, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to be with you, Tony. All right, let's jump right into it, this study out of Israel that shows that uh, natural immunity has a stronger level of protection than the vaccine in some cases. Is this a legitimate study? It's an incredible study. It had over 700,000 people, really sound scientific methodology, And it shows just what you said in your introduction. I agree with everything. It is not only 13 times better uh, than vaccinated immunity, but natural immunity, when you adjust for the differences in the populations that were studied, is much as 27 times more protective. And most importantly, no one died who had natural immunity. Now, also, no one died who had vaccinated immunity. So we got to be honest with the public. Breakthrough infections are not our battle. It is protection against death and disability. And if we listened to these results instead of dismissing them, we could focus our efforts with intense laser focus on non-immune adults, those who have not been vaccinated and those who have not, don't have natural immunity. Those are the folks we really want to get vaccinated, and they should go get vaccinated quickly as Delta spreads. But when they disregard these studies, they're hurting the credibility with the public, and they're hurting our vaccination efforts. 
So if we focused, like you said, on those that number one are at risk, those who are not vac, those who have not have no immunity, would we not get if we focused on that? Would we not to get to that level of herd immunity that we're trying to reach faster? So Delta changed the equation a little bit on herd immunity because we used to think there was a number and you'd see really significant slowing. And we got there in May of this year. But Delta changed the game. It's so contagious that everybody will either get vaccinated or get the virus and get infected. So we want folks to get vaccinated if they've not had the virus already. So why does the CDC not recognize natural immunity when we're talking about, you know, now some the government requiring uh, employees and others to have the vaccine, but making no allowances for those who have actually had the virus and have natural immunity? It's so frustrating to see this. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of doctors that are looking at this and saying this is one of the greatest failures of public health in history forcing people who are already immune to get immunized. It makes no sense. It's illogical. They've been dismissing it early on. Some say pharma has been part of the narrative. I personally think we've just got a very small few people making all the decisions medically, and they're just old school people who are just have a different opinion. And they dug into that position when it became a political position to immunize everybody. And so when people see we've got to vaccinate every American, I don't agree with it, but at the same time, the nuance is we want those without natural immunity, without having had the infection, to get vaccinated if they haven't already. See, I, I've said all along that if you really wanted people to get the vaccine, you should tell them they can't have it. Then they would want if, to get it. If we were honest with people, we would have much better vaccine uptake, but we have not been honest as a medical establishment. And, 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 and when the government gets involved in these issues, it raises the level of suspicion and distrust, especially in the environment, environment in which we currently find ourselves. So I think, I, I, I just think if they wanted, if they could reset and go back, and I think one of the first steps would be to recognize natural immunity and also acknowledge that these vaccines are not 100% foolproof. Yeah, can you imagine if our public health leader said, look, we got this one wrong. We just came in with the wrong hypothesis. Natural immunity is incredibly effective. Don't go out there and just get the virus to get it, but get vaccinated if you don't have immunity already from previous COVID infections. That, that would yeah. do wonders. A little honesty would I, go a long way. I think, I think you are absolutely uh, right. Dr. Marty McCary, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for taking time to, uh, to join us today. Good to be with you, Tony. Thank you. All right. Look, again, I'm going to restate it. I'm not against vaccines. In fact, I think some people who are in high-risk categories, they should consider this, prayerfully consider it. Um, but I, I am totally 100% against this idea that the government should mandate this for every single person and strong-arming them to get And I'm grateful for medical doctors like Dr. McCary who are willing to speak honestly about this. Okay, folks, stick with us because there's more Washington Watch to come. cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742 and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
the gospel. What I heard on the radio, you guys have changed my life. Vital information. My kids and I are so thankful for you, and we love your news and everything that y'all give out. God is using American Family Radio to transform American culture. We'd love to hear your story. Call 877-876-8893. That's 877-876-8893. You might hear yourself on the air during our share October 12th, 13th, and 14th. This week on Truth For Life, we're focusing on trusting God's providential care in all circumstances and the importance of fully committing to God and His Word. Find out why it involves selfless choices, worldly nonconformity, and biblical wisdom. Hear more on Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, weekday mornings at 1130 Central on AFR and online at AFR.net. You know, a lot of times you have to choose between something high quality or something that saves you money. But if you can get both, why not? Especially when it comes to health care. And that's MediShare. You get both. The typical family saves 500 bucks a month switching to MediShare. And that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. It's because MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge PPO network. So yeah, really, you could save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. If you're self-employed or part of the gig economy, or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. Here is the number you need. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44. Welcome back to this Labor Day edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyBerkins.com. Also, if you'd like to uh, help with the hurricane relief, you can go to frc.org slash relief. $25,000 has been put forward by the Family Research Council, which we will uh, uh, match what is given by our listeners that will go to Samaritan's Purse and the churches that are hosting them in response to uh, to the hurricane. All right, uh, China, as we've been talking about, uh, has long maintained ties with the Taliban. And after the group's takeover, their foreign ministry, that's China's foreign ministry spokesman, said China would have friendly and cooperative relations with the Taliban. The Afghan Taliban have repeatedly expressed their hope to develop good relations with China, that they look forward to China's participation in the reconstruction and development of Afghanistan and will never allow any forces to use Afghan territory to endanger China. China respects the right of the Afghan people to independently determine their own destiny and is willing to continue to develop friendly and cooperative neighbor relations with Afghanistan and play a constructive role in the peace and reconstruction of Afghanistan. The Taliban similarly has been vocal in courting China's involvement in Afghanistan's future, saying in recent interviews that China is a, quote, great neighbor and could, quote, play an important role in the reconstruction of Afghanistan, end quote. But the relationship between the Communist Party of China and the Taliban goes way beyond borrowing a cup of sugar. With me now to talk about what China has been supplying the Taliban is Chinese expert Gordon Chang. He's the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. He can be found on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Tony. And by the way, I should mention, um, you know, what started in Louisiana, Hurricane Ida has made its way all the way to New Jersey. Your internet was knocked out, and so you're uh, in the local library there at the Clarence Dillon Library in Bedminster, New Jersey. So thank you for going to the effort to uh, be able to join us. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, we don't have power, but we'll get power. And by the way, Tony, we'll take back our country too. Yes. Uh, you know, the American people are resilient when we put our mind to it. And uh, I do think a lot of people are waking up with what we have watched unfold in Afghanistan. And it's it's like an onion when you pull back these layers. There's certainly tears involved. Uh, but if we respond appropriately, we can make some corrective uh, actions, take some corrective actions. And, and I want to focus 
on this relationship between the Taliban and China. This is not new, although it's maybe just newly being discussed. China has played a long role in the Taliban and even equipping them with instruments of war. Yes, this goes back more than two decades. So before 9-11, China was supplying telecom equipment to the Taliban. They did that in the wake of that horrific event. But also during the insurgency, um, China was selling small arms, including anti-aircraft missiles, to the Taliban, and they were used against American and NATO forces. So China was on the side of um, the, uh, basically committing an act of war against the United States because those arms were used to kill Americans. It's not like this was a secret. This was known, but many American leaders of both political parties have kind of ignored this fact. Yes, they have. Um, what they tried to do was to entice China to better behavior. But in doing that, um, we've had a series of presidents who just looked the other way at what China's been doing. And this has convinced the Chinese, and this is just goes beyond Afghanistan, that Beijing can kill Americans and get away with it. And they've been doing this with regard to COVID-19, which they deliberately spread beyond their borders, and with China's backing of these fentanyl gangs, and that's tens of thousands of American deaths each year. We Americans got to understand the maliciousness of the Chinese system and start taking appropriate actions. So we, we know that they've had, as you just mentioned, they had a, a kind of a long history there in Afghanistan, equipping the, uh, the Taliban with uh, small arms, rockets, uh, missiles. Uh, what role did they play during this um, debacle that we call a withdrawal from Afghanistan? What was China doing behind the scenes? Yeah, we don't know that yet, but a number of people have expressed um, suspicions. And, and part of it is, remember that the senior Taliban leaders went to the Chinese city of Tianjin um, for that meeting on July 28th. And we don't know exactly what was discussed, but American leaders should start asking the question, where did the Taliban get the money to prosecute the end of the war? For instance, we know that Afghan soldiers were paid by the Taliban towards the end of the war because they hadn't been paid by their own government. So the Taliban came in with hard currency and cash. And I suspect that part of that money came either directly or indirectly from China. But these are questions that we need to ask, Tony, because we have not been asking these difficult questions for more than two decades. Now, I'll be very candid. We don't know for certain because there have been uh, statements made that m much of the military material that was left behind by the United States, uh, some put a price tag of $82, 85000000000 billion. Um, many said that, uh, or some reports have said that it was demil demilitarized, it was dest some destroyed. Um, are, are you concerned that there may be some stuff left behind that will then be passed on to the Chinese where they can uh, reverse engineer or gain information that they did not have previously about our military capabilities? Well, certainly, because there have been estimates that 20% of that material has now been sent over to China. And this would be consistent with what we know in the region. So, for instance, after the raid on Osama bin Laden's compound, we lost a sophisticated helicopter. And that helicopter, the parts, um, what was left of it, was sent by Islamabad to Beijing for analysis. And, and although, you know, people may say, well, of course the Chinese know what a Humvee looks like, um, but also they've got some other equipment and they were able to see just how well this stuff performs. So this is important for Beijing to learn. And uh, we left that behind and we should never have allowed for that to happen, even if it were partially disabled. And by the way, Tony, we've seen these pictures of American equipment rolling um, with Taliban drivers and Taliban fighters in the back. So we didn't do a very good job of making sure that this stuff couldn't be used again. Yeah, it's uh, quite frankly unbelievable, if you ask me, that we uh, we left the country with all of this. And maybe some of it was inoperable, but certainly, as you've pointed out, we've seen the pictures. Uh, some of that stuff was rolling. Let's talk, uh, Gordon Chang, about the incentive for China to uh, 
enter into this relationship and it appears that they're playing the long game because they've been at this for a while. What is the motivation of China uh, to align itself with Afghanistan and the Taliban? There are, num there are a number of things. Um, first of all, Afghanistan is one of China's 14 uh, land borders. So they want to make sure that that one is secure. They don't want um, Afghanistan to be used as a refuge for Uyghurs, Kazakhs, and others who have been brutally persecuted in China. Um, they, want China they want Afghanistan's minerals. You know, we had President Biden two weeks ago issue that executive order that set a target of half of all American vehicles by 2030 should be electric powered. Well, that requires lithium. It requires rare earth minerals. Uh, Afghanistan has more uh, lithium than any other country in the world. Um, so clearly China wants that. They also have that lease to that big copper mine, which they haven't been able to exploit, but they certainly would like to get the operations going there. And one other thing that uh, people don't normally talk about, and that is China would like Afghanistan to be part of its land bridge to the Arabian Sea. Um, China wants to avoid the Malacca Straits, which is a choke point. And so if they were able to um, tame the country, they would be able to build roads and connect to Iran and get to the Arabian Sea. So that's important for them as well. So, Gordon, what you've just laid out, certainly the, uh, the concern here from the United States from a, an economic standpoint, uh, China has a lot to gain from access to the rare uh, minerals that are there in Afghanistan. But from a military defense perspective. Uh, should the United States be concerned about that? Well, we certainly should, because we know that before 9-11, the Taliban allowed Afghanistan to be used as a base for al-Qaeda for attacking the United States. And the Taliban is going to do that again. We hear people in the Biden administration say, oh, the Taliban is going to be different this time because they want the legitimacy from the international community. Well, the Taliban wants legitimacy, but they not from the international community. They want legitimacy with other terrorists. Um, and of course, there are many of them in Afghanistan. And the Taliban's got to be worried that they will lose fighters to, for instance, ISIS Khorasan, ISIS K. So um, we can be sure that uh, there is going to be um, Afghanistan as a haven for terrorists once more and that we will once again have to deal with this because we are going to be attacked. One thing that this has done, the rapid collapse of the Afghan government has energized terrorists around the world, including terrorists in Pakistan. And, and this means that the United States is going to bear the brunt of a new wave of terrorism. Uh, Gordon Chang, let me ask you this question beyond Afghanistan. I mean, as we, this debacle, this uh, display of weakness, however you want to describe it, it can't be good. Uh, I, I totally disagree with the president saying that this was a uh, exceptional success. It was a failure. I had the Secretary of State, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on the program last week talking about this. Um, when you look at the dominoes that fall, when you display weakness on the international stage, talking about China, where does this put Taiwan? This puts Taiwan at risk. And, and the reason, I think, is because, first of all, we, we know what Beijing propaganda was saying. You know, even while Kabul was falling, they talked about how um, the United States would never defend Taiwan. And Beijing propaganda said that when the Chinese invaded and they used when, um, the U.S. would bug out. So um, clearly, uh, we have seen uh, since then, in those last couple of weeks, um, China step up military provocations in areas adjacent to Taiwan, and that's more pressuring of, um, of the island republic. There, there's another place, though, that is also of critical importance to the U.S., and this is, this is a really horrible story for us, and that is India. India was moving much closer to the U.S., into America's camp, working with us in what's called the Quad, which are the four countries, Japan, Australia, India, and the U.S. Well, now America's friends in New Delhi have been disheartened by what they saw in Afghanistan, and there is no more move in the part of India to work closely with the United States, which means that India is going to cozy up with Russia and may even make an accommodation with China. 
Remember, China has troops deep into Indian-controlled territory in Ladakh, and there's also the encroachments in Sikkim, which are part of India. So we could lose one of the most important countries in the world, especially as we go forward. India will be the world's most populous nation if it, not, if it isn't already. Uh, India is powerful. It has a lot of friends and a lot of influence in that region. And for us, this is a loss that'll take us decades to recover. So, so Gordon, is it safe to say that uh, the, the Taliban may not be the biggest winner in the U.S. and its uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, but it's actually China that is the big winner? I would think that China is the big winner because it has been able to use this from a propaganda point of view to tar the image of the U.S. And we Americans never pay very much attention about propaganda. But for China, this is really important. And what China's been able to do is to send out really two messages. One of them is what we just talked about to Taiwan and to others saying the U.S. is not a reliable ally. And the second is a message to Americans that uh, America is completely incapable and is not able to stand up to China. This is part of China's intimidation campaign because we've seen these intimidation themes, especially over the last year. And China was able to magnify them in the wake of the fall of Kabul. And when you look at the complete failure of the U.S. military, the U.S. intelligence community, and the national security apparatus centered on the White House, um, China is making a powerful case. I would think that that would go beyond even countries like India that were developing those relationships with. I would have to think that this is going to impact our relationship with some of our historic allies. If there is another 9-11 type incident and we've got to rally global uh, support, a coalition to go after terrorism, some of these countries may think twice before they follow American leadership. Yes, well, we know about the problems in Western Europe. I mean, in the British Parliament, this is a special relationship. Our closest ally, decade in and decade out, had this um, rant session, um, basically um, in the wake of the fall of Kabul, talking about the U.S. as an unreliable ally and the complete failure in Washington. And that is a warning for us because, you know, President Biden has said so many times, you know, we need to work in conjunction with our allies and all the rest of it. Um, and now our allies are looking at us and saying, you know, who are these Americans? So this undercuts the president's own strategy in a way which is fundamental. Yes. And that music we're about to hear is a warning to us that we're out of time. Uh, Gordon Chang, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. Well, thank you, Tony. All right. Gordon Chang, you can follow him at Gordon G. Chang on uh, Twitter. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, share Washington Watch with your friends. It is a trusted news source, unlike legacy media. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.